podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's episode, we have Ed Vincent. He is an entrepreneur with over 25 years business technology and management experience, including six years banking and valuation experience. He founded an e-commerce business in 1999, which was sold to a competitor in 2001. He's a repeat founder, including the businesses Simply Engage, My Producer, and Predict Ventures. He is currently the founder and CEO of Festival Pass. Ed, welcome to Run With It. Thank you. Glad to be here. We are very glad to have you. It's not often that we have someone with such a, an illustrious career and varied background on our uh, podcast. So we're excited to hear everything that you have to share. I think uh, the information that you've submitted on the forum is a lot more detailed than, uh, than some of the ones that we've had in the past, which is great. We're going to be able to dive into a uh, technical opportunity much more than typically we do. Hey, hopefully I didn't go too far. Well, we'll, just, we'll pull you back and you'll have to dumb it down for folks like uh, me and, and Ethan. Ethan's, yeah, he, <laughs> he signed off already. Uh, we will save some time at the end of the episode to talk about Festival Pass and some of the other projects that you've been part of. And it would be good to incorporate some of the insights that you've gained, of course, during the 25 years that you've worked in talking about this idea. But without further ado, let's get into it. Tell us about the idea that you would like our listeners to run with. Sure, sure. So a lot of it does have context to the things that I've been part of and even some of the ideas that are coming out of things we're doing at Festival Pass. So uh, the context with Festival Pass is we've created our own centralized currency. But in the world of how currency is participating on the blockchain, there's kind of a new wave of businesses moving towards allowing individuals, small businesses, or any brand to create their own social currency. And the idea of a social currency that is traded on the blockchain, or at least organized on the blockchain in a decentralized way, enables uh, a lot more issuance of currency to happen. But I think one of the problems that exist is, you know, it's even more exacerbated than the traditional cryptocurrency kind of world on blockchain, is that, you know, there's only a few that everybody hears about, whether it's Bitcoin or, or a couple others, that even have any kind of brand value where people can really say, hey, I know what that might be worth, or even the ones that are well-known, you really don't know how much they're worth. So once, once you conceive or agree with the thesis that over the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a lot more social currency issuances, and we can dive into what social currency really is if, if we want to do that. Um, the only way people can actually have any ability to understand it or know it or have any ability to trade it is is to somehow provide an exchange where they can do so and somehow have the exchange provide more information that allows people to somewhat value those. And I think it's kind of interesting to see as all of these social currencies is how will they be traded and uh, how will people try to value them. To be clear, when you're talking about social currencies, you're talking about the uh, influencer type of credibility or like cloud scores or define it for us. Yes. Yeah, so this is where the, there is an evolution going on. There's a few companies now that are 
allowing individuals to actually create their own blockchain-based cryptocurrency. And, and by doing so, they are able to just use the backbone of what a lot of traditional currencies have created on blockchain, but to do it just for themselves. So I might say, hey, I'm going to create the Edcoin. And the Edcoin is only valuable when I initially issue it because let's say I provide some value redemption. And I say, well, anybody that has a thousand Edcoin can schedule a 30-minute meeting with me. And therefore, there's some value exchange for what I'm providing for that. Or if you have 10,000 Edcoin, I'll promote you in a Facebook post that I might put up or an Instagram post. So take that concept and, you know, I'm not a traditional influencer, but apply that to every music artist, every athlete, every, every person on Instagram with 100,000 followers, every small business. If it's a, you know, a small uh, coffee shop in Minnesota and they have coffee X currency, the reality is that to the outside world, it's never going to be the size of a Bitcoin, but it becomes some kind of currency that can be traded for value within coffee brand X. But the hard part is when you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of mini currencies, there's really no way for somebody in Alaska to say I might value that Minnesota-based coffee currency. So basically, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm trying to think about the most basic format and kind of how, how, how currency is evolving and how, how it plays a role in what we're talking about today. So basic idea, Disney dollars, right? You go to Disney World and you buy these Disney dollars and you can spend them. Or I go to a carnival and I buy these tickets that can get a beer and a, a soda and a, you know, a hot dog or whatever, a certain amount of tickets. And so like we're just digitizing these basically type of things. And you're saying that there's not only going to be a market to use them, but maybe to exchange them. Okay, I've got two Disney dollars. I'll give you two Disney dollars for you know, two carnival tickets or to buy a hot dog at the carnival or something. Is that, is that kind of like the evolution if I take it from real world, non-crypto stuff into, into the crypto? And Yeah, I think you can do that. And the, the, the difference between the two is that when you have a direct mark to mark of what that valuation is, meaning it's two Disney dollars, you know exactly what those two Disney dollars are, are valued for. Mm -hmm. and, and the bank in that scenario is a, is a uh, centralized bank just like the US dollar has a centralized bank. So therefore, if Disney decides that two Disney dollars get you a hot dog, but a year later say, they say, well, you know what? Two Disney dollars only get you a bag of peanuts. It's, it's worth a half a hot dog. They're controlling that currency fluctuation. Mm -hmm. Whereas once any kind of social currency or blockchain-based currency gets put out on the blockchain in a decentralized way, the ecosystem, the decentralized environment is what controls the value of that. I want to back up to how you think about the societal effects of valuing people's time and attention using something like this. People may say that you're selling out or, you know, you'll just go to the highest bidder because it is a commodity of if someone has 10,000 ed coins and they can buy your Facebook post. Well, I think what this concept does by moving it to a decentralized environment like the blockchain, it almost puts the power back into the society as the power of me would be the centralized force in that value because the society then is able to say, you know, is Ed's, uh, Ed's 
half hour of Ed's time or Ed's Facebook post actually worth the thousand he says it is, or is it now only worth 10? Right. right. There's an exchange value. And then, and then there'll also be different currencies, which will be more volatile, right? Cause they're not traded as much and, and the price kind of jumps up and down depending on what goes on. And then there'd be more ones that are more stable, just like actual currencies that we see nowadays. Yeah. And I also was trying to think through it in the sense of, have you guys ever been to like a, a car buying website where they say, Hey, a used 2015 Jeep, we're selling it for $20,000, but it's actually $3,000 less than book value or something like that. Or basically gives a range of, Hey, this is really a good deal because with all the data we have, it's actually worth 22,000, but we're selling it for 20. Therefore it's a good deal. So having that environment influences the traders of that car on whether or not they're going to buy the car. Of course, it has to meet all the other criteria, but likely somebody's not going to pay $24,000 for something that the website itself is saying is only worth twenty-two, unless it has something interesting to them and specifically only to them. The other question that comes to mind for me is when you talk about, let's say we were creating AdCoin, I can't imagine that you would put all 24 hours of your available day. So would you say that maybe you allocate one hour a day to Edcoin users or how does that work? Yeah, so, so at the end of the day, regardless of how Ed controls or provides the value exchange for his currency, the currency is still out there in the marketplace. So as Ed or Chris change. Oh, we got Ed talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> but but at, at the end of the day, it's kind of what I'm trying to figure out and trying to have people think through. And I don't have the answer. Otherwise, I, uh, I would be presenting this differently. I really just kind of came up with this earlier today when I was trying to think through some ideas. But the course of it is I do see social currency actually moving to be something that's going to happen very often as we go forth and go forward. The problem is, is everything we're talking about is how do we solve this problem? How do we know if Chris coin is, is worth what it is? How do we know if Meek Mill coin is worth what it is? How do we know, you know? I got to be worth more than Meek Mill. Come on, <laughs> Meek Mill coin. He's only got 20 million uh, Instagram followers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I guess the reason I bring that question up is because I, I don't want to sell my 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. time slot to the highest bidder just because they have access to, to Chris coin. I'd, there would be some constraints under which I would want to offer my time on the marketplace. Right. And it's not just about time though, too. It's like people can offer their own products and services or, you know, whatever people want to put out there. I think so. And, and the reason kind of, I find this super interesting is it could evolve. We're using basic examples of first time at 2, 2 a.m. But the reality is the same way Upwork has upended kind of the, the freelance work model, right? And people go on and they say, hey, I want to pay you for X amount of hours of your time because you're a developer or you're a marketer or you're a consultant of some sort. At the end of the day, there's a lot of value that humans in all forms could actually provide. And there are things people do that end up creating micro value on a local level. And the question is, is how... Can there be a marketplace that kind of aggregates some of those micro values into something more substantial if aggregated together? So can we get into a little bit of how we might get started on this? Would this be something that you think would need to start with venture capital or could it be something somebody could bootstrap? 
the concept can be bootstrapped in some level. Of course, you need some technical uh, prowess to be able to develop some kind of overlaying exchange. There are many companies out there that are doing the issuing of the social currency, so you wouldn't have to participate in that capacity. I really think it's about the aggregation of the individuals that are issuing. And I can give you some context of something we are going to be doing a festival pass on a small level, but it kind of brought up the idea of well, what can happen in society as a whole. So, you know, we're, we're ultimately at some point going to issue a festival coin, which will allow that coin to be valued against a credit on festival pass. So credits on festival pass is a centralized currency that we control the value of. And those credits can be used to buy tickets to go to live shows. But when we offer a festival coin, it will be a crypto coin on a decentralized marketplace. So that will have some value that we control against our credit system. However, a lot of our music venues and our festival partners, we're going to provide within the Festival Pass platform, each one of those thousands of different venues and, and uh, festivals to issue their own coin. So that's like the beginning of this process is that we might have a few thousand different coin in our mini ecosystem as it relates to festivals and live events. I know you guys were saying where you're from. I don't know what local music venues exist in either you know, Chicago or... Rosemont Horizon is in Chicago. I think uh, they may have changed the name by now, but last time I checked. <laughs> so let's say Rosemont Horizon issued their own coin through Festival Pass. That coin can be valued when you're at Rosemont itself. You can redeem it for drinks. You can get it for you know, tickets directly to the show. Or you can also exchange it for Festival Pass credits and use it elsewhere if you want. So that's kind of a basic ecosystem that we're going to be moving towards anyway. It's a little easier to control in the mindset of our our kind of mini exchange. But that's what brought upon some of the concepts and ideas that said, well, hey, how does this work globally outside of our world? For the listener, I realize some of this may be rudimentary blockchain explanations for you at this point, but how does that make things easier both for the venue and the user to have their own coin? Yeah, so there's two things, right? So one is something I was sharing earlier that's super helpful to understand. It's a lot of people, I think, think of uh, blockchain as a hard to understand concept, but there's really one basic premise that kind of solves for understanding there's nuances across the board, but the basic understanding of what it is, is that there's not a centralized place of management. And it's either on the blockchain is decentralized, meaning there's no one governmental authority that can change that currency value. And in the regular world of money or in the world of points, there is a centralized governance. Right. So, so just understanding those two things make, make the understanding of the blockchain a lot easier. Yeah. You know, I'm just curious, was that your, the first business you sold in 2001 or had you sold businesses before then? Uh, that was the first, yes, I was a banker up until 19. Yeah. So having done, you know, we've been in business for, for that long and buying, you know, starting and selling companies. And I'm curious of your perspective on like trends and, you know, how people see trends and they jump on trends and sometimes it's a total bust and sometimes it goes somewhere. I mean, clearly you've had some successes in that. Can you point out any failures in terms of trends you thought were going to go somewhere and they didn't, or just a way of thinking about, should I jump on this trend or leave it be? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great question, right? And, and often what happens 
at least from my experience in the technical space, is that sometimes things come about too early. I don't want to use all the old case studies of the world, but you know, back in the day of the fax machine, it was like before it existed, you know, the idea of it was around for decades. But until everybody was interconnected and actually could enable a fax machine to happen, you could never have a fax machine. Right, yeah. It just things go on and on like that throughout history. So even in things like blockchain, and I think that was kind of one of your thoughts and your references, is it's been around now for you know, five to 10 years. And there's only certain things it's actually been applied to. And a lot of people in the blockchain space say, is it a solution in search of a problem or a problem in search of a solution? And, you know, I agree sometimes in it, there's so many things that you shouldn't apply blockchain to because it is unnecessary. And a lot of people try to apply blockchain to things because it's a buzzword, it makes it sound like it's a trend, it makes it sound like what it is. And back in 99, when I had my first company, you guys are probably too young to remember, but every company in the world just put .com on the, uh, on the back of the name of the company because that increased the valuation because it was a trend, meaning they were savvy in the internet. And of course, that, that silly notion went away over time because it wasn't just about simply being on the internet. It was, it was how do you use the internet to actually facilitate your business? By the way, Ed, you do not look old enough to have started and sold a company by 2001. So we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to ask how old you are. I think we're probably also don't look as young as we are. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> No, no, <laughs> I appreciate that. If the hat's covering all the gray. <laughs> But yes, I, I agree with you. And, and I can go on and on with a bunch of examples, augmented reality, virtual reality. It all came out. Everybody's excited. Let's spend billions of dollars towards it. And to this day, have you seen, how much have you seen in VR and AR that actually is impactful in your daily life? Well, I think one of the interesting things with blockchain that's happening right now that could be a, a tipping point in terms of increased adoption is the U.S. government's printing of fiat currency. There's a whatever, four and a half trillion dollars of, of fiat being printed. And everyone, I don't know that that is being appropriately valued by the average person because really it's just devaluing the dollar. And people are turning to alternative investments like gold or silver or blockchain to uh, protect against that devaluing because by nature, blockchain is uh, deflationary. Like there's only so much Bitcoin out there and they, you can't just print more like you can for a fiat currency. So it seems like there will be more of an opportunity going forward. How do you think about what's happening right now from you know, the pandemic and, and monetary printing and all of that in terms of this idea? Yeah, so, so I think it, it goes back to kind of the original notion that I think people are going to move to other forms of social currency that are not necessarily as monumentally changing as um, trying to pen the U.S. dollar for something like Bitcoin or, or something else. You see it in a lot of other governments that don't have the power and value of the U.S. dollar, obviously participating more and more in the, the cryptocurrency world. What's going to be hard just for that industry in general is governments will fight back as much as they can against it because in reality is when you lose the power of the financial strength, you lose you lose your power in the world. So, you know, the country that has the most money 
can build the best military, can build the best resources, and ultimately ends up in a more powerful position throughout the world. Hence, while though for, for decades there will be continuously be a pushback against removing the central authority of money and allowing it to be decentralized as a core traded currency for economics in general. It's so interesting to watch all these trends. I, you know, I'm just having been around for a while, as we've already established, to see, see different technological trends and resistances. And I find it fascinating to see how corporations and established players are able to resist certain things like this. I remember when they first started putting chips in credit cards and there was kind of like a big thing. I mean, really intelligent people um, were walking around with tinfoil around their wallets to make sure they're not being tracked and things like that. And yeah, it's kind of a movement against it, but sure enough, it's in there. You know what I mean? The movement worked and this is what it is. And pretty much everybody's walking around with a chip in their credit card now. Yeah. And I think that the conversation of just this business idea was more it's more of a lighter form of that, right? So because right. social currency isn't really trying to change the way governments and countries are run, it's more about how do we find other ways for individuals to have a liquidity, if you will, for some of the things that they do. Right. Uh, it's much harder to barter a blog post for an hour of time for somebody you don't know already or to be able to barter some other, some other form of value. So it just, it's, it's interesting to me to almost just have a, an overall exchange of social currency. Yeah. Just one more thing I wanted to check in on in terms of your perspective on jumping on trends, quote unquote. It sounded to me like from what, what you've seen, the, the thing to be aware of is, are you trying to use a tool just to use it? Or do you actually have a good use for it, right? I mean, that's the thing to really reflect on. And it sounds like this business idea is it's moving towards selling pickaxes to people who are mining for gold, right? It's like when you see a trend, it's almost like a gold rush. And can you create a business that takes advantage of a lot of people are paying attention to it, you know, and various coins are going to be valuable or not. But if you can create some sort of exchange, you're more meta to the rush of the idea. Yeah, I would agree that that, that is part of it, right? So there. There is some movement towards this concept of social currency that will be managed on the blockchain. And the question is, is well, what can we do with that? What can we do with that, that mad rush? And, and who knows what it will be today? Who knows what it will be in 10 years? But I loved what you mentioned about trends. There are some trends that come and go, but I would say most of the trends that have had the most kind of presence or the most interest, they might just start slower and take more time to develop, but often they eventually go somewhere. Right. Okay, action steps, Chris, go for it. Action steps, I'll turn it back to Ed here. I have to admit this one seems like it's a, it's a big one to bite off, uh, so it's a challenge, but where would you get started with this idea? What, what are some of the first things that you would do? Yeah, I think if it was somebody else trying to look at this, I think the first step is to try and understand what the social currency is and then also what operators are actually issuing social currency. There's a group I know called Roll, uh, R-O-L-L, the website is Try Roll, that is doing that. And it's one we might partner with when we go forth on some of the stuff we're doing. But that's one. The second is try to understand uses, like, like identify what is the use case of who might want to actually issue their own currency. Is it every individual like us? Or are we just being silly? Is it really only celebrities and uh, artists and athletes that should do it? 
or is it small businesses that should forego their local uh, punch card loyalty rewards where you buy nine coffees and get the 10 free and move towards something that's more social currency based? You know, I don't know the answer. There is some kind of core vehicle or solution that probably is an easier lift to get started. But I think that's the next action step is to find out which one. Another action step that comes to mind here based on the form that you submitted is uh, understanding market makers. How do market makers work on traditional exchanges and how can you apply that framework to a social currency exchange on a blockchain? No, I agree. I agree. Is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, illustrating what they do is that they're effectively providing a range of values to give the buyers and sellers an opportunity to agree with or not agree with what that main market is. So it's a starting point. So, so yes, I agree. It's trying to just understand the, the ways that it's been done for a century in other markets and try to apply that to this, this thing. It's, it's almost like the old adage is uh, there's only 50 stories in Hollywood. They just regurgitate each one with different mm-hmm. characters. At the end of the day, sometimes there are really new innovative business models, but uh, you know, 99 out of 100 times, it's just a new application of one that worked before. Right. What and just just for the definition definitional purposes, what will we define as a market maker? Yeah, so so in the tra- easiest traditional sense is when you think of a just an equity stock exchange, there are market makers that go in and set the buy sell price, and they set it. If something should trade around you know a dollar, the market makers will give it a range between eighty cents and dollar twenty. Of course, it's much smaller fractions in reality. Right but there's enough buyers at one price and enough sellers at a different price and a transaction doesn't happen until, you know, one buyer gets high enough and one seller goes low enough. How about in terms of your first customer or your first 10 customers or like, what does it look like onboarding people who use this and, you know, making sure you're serving them? Sure. And, and I think what's kind of fun about businesses like this is a lot of it becomes self-serve because of the nature of it. Of course, the technology has got to be there. But in essence, unless the exchange itself breaks in some capacity and isn't fulfilling the desired uh, outcome, is you're basically just providing the marketplace for two other individuals to transact themselves. So, so the answer on that capacity, right, is as you get your first set of customers, it's really just trying to get issuances to happen for some of these individual social currency issuers, if you will, and then providing some space where other people can come up with a value for them. Any ballparks on what you think somebody should have set aside or try to raise in order to just, you know, get, get, give a meaningful start to something like this? That's always a hard question. And in my experience, in my journey, you know, it's been an idea with no money and then just keep pushing it until you get to the next level. And then there's been other businesses where I've gone out and raised a couple million bucks before even getting started. So it's, uh, it's always hard for me to say that. It's if somebody has a passion to go forth and learn this business, it's about doing the legwork to understand it, doing the legwork without any capital raise to move forth. But build the beginning of it is beg, borrow, and steal from other pre-existing applications and, you know, use grit. But of course, over time, you would need to raise money to, to make it happen. 
an action step that comes to mind is if someone is not already familiar with uh, some of these communities out there or people who may use social currency type exchanges, there are other applications of the blockchain where people are trying this in different ways. One that comes to mind, I think it's called Steam or Steamit. It's, it's similar to Reddit, except people are compensated in some form in Steam coins, I think, for creating content on the platform. And that would be a good way of just you, you start engaging with the platform like that and see see how it works just to you know get hands-on experience. It's not as theoretical if you if you do something like that. Yeah, and that that is absolutely a good path. And then like a lot of gamers use Discord to exchange different in-game value points. So it's another path for people to look at and say, okay, how are these transactions happening? How is it happening outside of an overall exchange? And now, how do you apply that to the next level? I'm just going to take the opportunity to go way meta here, even though we probably should be focusing on actions and concrete things. Just to, again, as someone who's been an entrepreneur for, for several years and been in different projects, can you talk to us and the listeners just a tiny bit about the value of currency in general? Like, how do you look at money and, and the amount of money in your bank account? And, you know, like if there's a little, how much does that affect how someone feels about themselves versus if there's a lot. Any thoughts on, on things from your experience, just currency in general, how it affects us and how we use it? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a very profound kind of intellectual question about life and humanity, right? So is, is what do you value? What, what, what creates wealth? Is wealth love and family? Is wealth security? Is wealth just experiences? And what I found being the old guy I am, as you were joking about before, is there's, there's certain, certain people value different things, right? And that's the beauty of life is we're not all the same. So in that capacity, I've, I've noticed uh, millennials tend to value experiences over things. Not to say all do, but, but there's some value to being able to access things and go travel and experience things that are more important than having an expensive purse or, or a fancy car or anything like that. So again, I think your big question is important, but it's a very individual thing. Yeah, that's great. We're coming up on time here, Ed. What's one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation? I would just honestly say is that if listeners are entrepreneurs or wanting to go down that path, is just to believe in yourself and to continue to look at the long-term goal. In every business, there has to be a pivot, but it really isn't in the way that a lot of people talk about it. It's about just learn, having more information along the way and that the more information you have, you can make better decisions along the path. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs early on kind of chase the shiny nickel saying, I have an idea, this is great. And a week later, hey, I have another idea, this is great. But I think holding yourself accountable for small goals instead of big goals is how you win. Thank you, Ed, so much for the conversation here. You've opened up uh, a whole new world of opportunity, at least for me, and I'm sure for the listener out there, there's probably going to be a lot of research needed to get an idea like this off the ground. But hopefully we've given you enough action steps to, to get going. So to the listener who is on board with what Ed has shared here, take some action, follow through on the action steps that we've talked about and that we're outlined in the show notes. Everyone who responds to us via email, update at runwithit.fm, will get access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session from Ed 
and potentially a business partnership on this idea, which is incredibly valuable given Ed's huge breadth of experience and uh, insight into business opportunities that he's seen from both the VC perspective and uh, an entrepreneur. Ed, where can people go to learn more about you and Festival Pass, what you're doing right now? Sure. So on the Festival Pass side, just festivalpass.com, the easiest way to kind of learn about what it is and what it's all about. Obviously, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. You can find us there. Personally, myself, mostly from a business perspective on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Ed Vincent on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Ed. I really appreciate the conversation and looking forward to hearing uh, some feedback from the listeners on, on actions that they're taking. Now, it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.